0: Let me uh, just say thank you for, um, oh, up there? Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Okay, up here, all right. (laughs) Thank you again. Uh, You know, the the great thing about uh, Pastor Wilson is how much he likes to have fun. Um, And so I asked him uh, yesterday um, if he could send me the address uh, uh, to the church. So he texted me the address, and so this morning, uh, I I wanted to be there kind of early So I actually started driving uh, toward it, and I realized it's at a small little house in Brea. He had sent me his address, his home address. And I thought to myself, how sad. Ethan's, I mean, uh, um, Wilson's church really shrunk to a a real small group of people. And so then I texted, are you sure this is the right address? And he said, oops, I sent you the wrong address. So knowing Wilson, I said, okay, I understand. So anyway... (laughs) Um, I ended up here, and now I get to see all of you guys, so I'm so excited, yay! So thank you, Pastor Wilson, for, ge- for, pl- for playing that practical joke on me, so sending me to your home. All right, um, I just want to say thank you um, on behalf of Ambassador Church. Uh, for those of you who may not know, our, our church is actually a sister church, a daughter, mother church to a renewed church. Uh, this is a, what we call an evangelical free church that's connected to our denomination because Wilson was in my class and when he was in my class, he was one of those students sitting in the back, and he had this real sad, uh, depressed look on his face. And, wow. and then we had this conversation, and we, we went on to lunch. I said, well, Wilson, what do you need? He goes, I need to graduate. I need to get... <laughs> I, I mean, at 2.8. was his last class at seminary. And so as Wilson shared... Uh, but I said, all you need to do is to come to class, and, and I'll give you an A. And so uh, he did that. <laughs> so he came to class. But the, the blessing that we received, uh, this is the other side of the story to Wilson. Um, when we hired Wilson on back in 2008, it was one of the toughest years of our church's ministry. And I remember when we started Ambassador Church, um, that our the, 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 during that year, the whole economy tanked. And as many of you know the story... Uh, Our church had moved from, we were moving from Buena Park all the way up to Brea, and the reason we went up to Brea was because in Garden Grove, a facility that we're going to get, they basically decided not to sell it to us and said, uh, we don't want to sell it to you. It's not about the money, uh, but we feel like God's uh, calling us to sell it to somebody else. And so a few months later, we find out they sold it to a Buddhist temple, and I said, "What God?" And, and so they sold it for one million dollar more. So it wasn't about the money, but it, it, so, so we ended up at this like a place in Brea, and the economy tanked. And we were having conversations with our staff. Our tr- church had shrunk from about, uh, about 150, 200 to about like 80 people. And then Wilson was in my class that summer, and I said to Wilson, um, "Wilson, would you consider uh, working with us as part of our church?" And I remember having a conversation with our staff, and I said, Hey, we want to bring Wilson on. And every one of them said, No, no, (laughs) no. They hadn't even met Wilson. It's just like, you know, we're going through some tough times. Why do we want to bring another pastor? And I said this I believe that if we invest, we take a step of faith, even though it doesn't look logical, that God will use that as an opportunity for us to um, be a blessing. And so we brought Wilson on. And Uh, An incredible thing happened. He brought 20 of his uh, friends along with him, and the church, as a result of that, began to grow and flourish. Well, Wilson was going to leave about uh, a year into our plant to plant his own church, and we said, Wilson, I'm not sure if you're ready. Um, and not because he wasn't, and, and because Wilson it was helping our church as well. So there was a selfish reason for us to keep him. But we, we also knew he wasn't ready. Um, so after about two years, we knew he wasn't ready. Third year, he wasn't ready. And one of the reasons we said is, is Wilson, because he was still single back then. He was still in his 20s. We said, it might be good for you to you know, meet somebody and get married and so forth. And God brought Nina along, and I was, got to be a part of that. So thank you for that uh... but then about year three and a half he said i think i'm ready and i think I, we said we think you're ready as well and so we were able to bless him and now he started with our 30, 40 people and now the church has grown to this size so i just want to say as a dad almost a spiritual father to see the blessing that you guys are and now I, I i was taking some pictures i can show to our church what you guys have become and so that's why we plant churches so that we can multiply and reach more people so thank you on behalf of ambassador church all right. Well, that's my sermon, so thank you. No, no. <laughs> um, let's pray and then begin. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you again for uh, the privilege of seeing multiplication happen, as um, we talked about in Epic, that, Lord, they're investing in the future by investing in others. And Father, you taught me a great lesson of us investing in Wilson, even though it was hard for us at that time, just because of all the different situations, but because we took the risk of investing in a young pastor who had a desire to reach his community. Lord, to see Renew now is an answer to that prayer. And so I pray for the future of Renew, that they would also be a church in investing in in others as well, Uh, not only in in people who work on staff, uh, church planters, individuals, that all of us together for the kingdom of God would make an impact. So, Father, we love you and thank you for the opportunity that we have in serving you. And I pray, Lord, that this message would be a source of encouragement for all of us, as we talk about Romans chapter 8 and and the importance of this passage in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. just shut off my phone here. Um, Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at this passage together, uh, verses 18 to 25. And on the next uh, slide, I'm going to show you the the actual text. So let me uh, read it for you as we look into Romans chapter 8. Says this: I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will re- be revealed in us. The creation awaits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject uh, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, and brought into glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves have first fruits of the Spirit, growing inwardly grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what, what he already has, but if we hope for what we do not yet ha- have? We wait for it patiently. In this passage, we are confronted with a question that I want to pose a little bit later on. And it's a question of of, of suffering. Well, you know, if you think about life, life is such that uh, we get what we hopefully expect. Now, there was a a TV show, uh, actually a movie many years ago called Forrest Gump. Has anybody ever seen it? It's an old movie. I remember uh, this movie, and there's the character Forrest, and basically he he is situated in all of these great events of the 20th century. But one of the most significant things that happens is he's sitting on a park bench talking with an old lady, and he begins the conversation, and he says this, Life is like a box of what? Chocolates. You never know what you're going to expect. Well, The reality is, if you think about that statement, well, I kind of know what he's talking about because when you open that box up, you may have different sorts of chocolates. But in reality, that when you open up a box of chocolates, what do you expect? Chocolates, right? If you open up a box of noodles, what do you expect? Noodles. If you open up a box of, you know, uh, whatever that is, a box of pens, what do you expect? You expect what is in that particular uh, box or label. Well, in, in this way, life kind of makes sense. You expect what, what is on the label of, of, of that particular thing. And so when you think about life, if you look at sort of the logic of life, it's this, that you get what you pay for. Or if in one sense, uh, there are some givens in life. If you commit a crime, you're going to get punished. If you study hard, hopefully you'll get better grades. Those are things that, that we assume. And here's another assumption. That if we assume that if we study hard, or if we study the Bible, we pray, we give, and we serve, that somehow in the midst of that, that God will then bless us accordingly. Well, the reality is that life is not always very logical. That sometimes life is actually unfair and unjust. Because how many of us as Christians, we sort of have this perception that if we do what we sort of think is the right thing to do in serving God, that somehow God, like that, where they to kind of help us to be better. I kind of grew up in a church like that where they said, if you, take the case of, of this couple named Jim and Valerie Bowers. Jim and Valerie, uh, known as Ronnie, were traveling with their two children, six years old and a seventh-month-old month uh, child named Charity. And they were on a Peruvian jet to be missionaries. And as they were uh, sort of flying along, the, the Peruvian government, assumed that this little uh, uh, plane was... Actually, and it hit the, the plane, and eventually the plane had crashed. The plane had based this particular um, story that it was just like popcorn. There was this loud popping sound, and things began flying, and it's hard to remember what exactly happened. And when the plane eventually landed, Jim started looking for the most important people in his life, his wife and his child. But what he found was that they were all dead. They were shot, and they had drowned. Now, when I heard this story on one of those news shows, the first question that I thought about was that life is unfair. How could this Christian couple who had devoted themselves for ministry, devoted themselves to be on the mission field, how could God treat them like that? And there's something in us that doesn't sort of—it make sense because we see that there's a cause and effect in life, that if we do this, that God will have to do that. Well, there are other situations in our life where we are involved in a relationship with somebody and, and things are going well, and then one day they come to us and say, hey, you know what? You're not the right person for me. And you had sort of envisioned a life of ministry together. Maybe you're in a job and you're working hard, and layoffs come, and instead of uh, everybody else getting laid off, you're the only person in your company, and you're the only one living your faithful witness. And when stories like that sort of begin to sort of compound, our faith gets challenged. We begin to ask the question, is God real? Is God alive? And this next question is a question, if God is so good, then why do we suffer? Now, I think every one of us have wrestled with this question. And maybe some of you in this room are wrestling with this question now. You're dealing with a situation that just doesn't make sense. A few weeks ago, I got a phone call from my mother saying, um, something happened to your sister's uh, boyfriend, a fiancé. They're supposed to be married toward the end of this uh, year, about six months. And what they found out was, as, as they were uh, moving toward that, uh, he and a buddy, her, my um, sister's boyfriend her buddy, took a plane, a small little plane, and they were flying along. The next thing they knew, the the engine caught on fire, and they both crashed and died. And I remember my sister asking me that question. Why did God let this happen? Now, I I think for for a person who is not a believer, when you ask that question, you're confronted with the reality of life, that life is very unfair. But as a Christian, you begin to ask yourself, what is God doing in the midst of that? See, we begin to question God's very nature and character. Is God really all-powerful? Is really God all-knowing? And if God is all-knowing, then why does this happen? Well, today, that's the challenge I want us to think about. Because in this passage, we are given sort of a bigger picture of why suffering happens. And not only that, not only are we given this bigger picture, we're also given the resources to be able to deal with it. So as you're sitting in in your seats right now, think of a situation in your own life where you're wrestling and struggling. And maybe this doubt has been planted uh, like a seed and and it's beginning to grow. Well, today I want to help maybe alleviate some of those doubts. And the great encouragement of this passage is that God has given us a different perspective. That God has given us a different vision of, of, of viewing life. In, in one sense, life is unfair and will continually be unfair. But in another sense, life is ultimately will be fair. Because God is fair. And what Paul is going to be walking us through in the, in the book of Romans is this whole understanding of this, this uh, cosmic sort of relationship with God, which we call salvation. And if you look at the book of Romans, here's the background of the book of Romans, which I consider it one of the greatest books of, uh, if you look at the New Testament, it's really the summary of the gospel. And if you really want to understand the Christian faith, you have to understand the book of Romans. Because Romans begins with the premise of God creating man and man rebelling against God. All of life's problems stems in chapter 1. That we are depraved and wicked, not because we're sort of, you know, uh, God made us that way. No, no, we're like that because we chose to be that way. That our wickedness comes from our ultimate rebellion toward God. And so when we talk about sin, we talk about depravity, it's not God imposing that on us. It is ourselves saying to God, we have rejected you. And then we want to follow our own path. So chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 deals with this whole problem of sin. And then in chapter 4 and 5, he begins to sort of unpack that, that God has given us uh, this thing called faith. And that God has given us this, this road of redemption. And so we see life happening. That, that God sends another Adam, a man named Jesus, who comes and dies for us. And that death gives us life. And he liberates us in chapter 6 or chapter 7 of the book of Romans. But here's the good thing. That the sal- that salvation doesn't, story doesn't end just with us going to heaven. See, the problem with a lot of Christians is that we often think of, of Christianity as sort of eternal life insurance. That somehow, that if we say a prayer, and we say, oh, Jesus, I come into my heart, that, that sort of, that, that's all we need to do. Well, the rest of the book of Romans now deals with the application of what salvation looks like. It's not just about saying a simple prayer. It's about living a life that is being transformed by the grace of God. And in chapter 8, he begins by talking about the transformation. Three things happen. Number one, that we have a new mindset. That when we trust Christ, that, that we are more than conquerors, and the Holy Spirit now resides in us. He is the key that unlocks this new life. And that in chapter 8, he, he says this, not only do when you trust Christ are you given the power of transformation, but the power itself is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit unlocks This new person in you, that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed, behold, the new has come. And what's the, the, the transformation? One, he gives you a new mindset, he transforms our minds from a sinful mind to one that has been transformed. And secondly, not only that, he gives us a new mission. That he, 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 instead of living a life for ourselves and for our personal glory, he gives us a greater mission for the kingdom of God. He gives us a greater purpose for living in righteousness and living in holiness to transform the world. And then thirdly, he gives us a new identity or what I call a new makeup. He transforms us into being these people whose identity is all messed up and broken. And he gives us a new identity that's based upon a relationship. And you know what that new identity is? He gets to call us his sons and daughters. That identity is based in the relationship that that we are part of God's great family. So chapter 8, that that is kind of the summary of the first part. But the question that happens is this, that God has given us these great things. He's given us a new mind. He's given us sort of a a new mission. He's given us a new makeup, our identity. But that still doesn't answer the question of suffering. If God has given us all these things, then why do we suffer? Well, in chapter 8 now, he tells us this. And I'm going to leave you with this. I mean, let's just go back to Romans chapter 8 again. Notice what he says. In verse 16, uh, verse 18, I consider, or actually verse 17, the verse before. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Here's the thing about suffering that suffering is a direct result of the of fallen nature, of a of, of, of fallenness in mankind. That we suffer because mankind has chose to rebel against God. And that set in motion this, this sort of thing that we call trials and suffering. That's part of life. And so, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, suffering is a non negotiable. The question is not, are we going to suffer? The question is, is what what does suffering do? What is the purpose of suffering in our lives? And how is God using that suffering to help us understand who he is? Because here's what happens when we suffer. Suffering is like fire, that if you put two different elements in, it changes the composition of that. If you put gold in fire, it refines it because it, it eliminates all the impurities. But if you put trash in fire, it burns it up. And so when we suffer, when we have hard times, what we're realizing is that God is using that for our personal purification. And here's the other thing, is that we suffer because also Jesus suffered. That the result of sin is suffering. And Jesus suffered on our behalf. And so suffering is a part of our sharing with Christ. That if we suffer with Christ, we are sharing in in Christ's identity. So here's the thing that changes us as Christians when we look at life. Is that you and I suffer because also Jesus suffered. And, and by us sharing in that, we're partaking in what Jesus, who Jesus is it. But here's the second thing that when we suffer, we are not only partaking in the actual suffering, we are also experiencing the glory. You know, there are two elements of the Christian gospel that you can never separate the cross and the resurrection. Here's the good news, is that no matter how hard life is with our suffering, that there is always a hope for the resurrection. And so what Paul is talking about here in this passage is simply this, that the hope that we have is the glory that will come. This has a tremendous effect on how we see things. Because, you see, if life is all life is about, is is, is temporal things, is the immediate, then the way we pursue life is sort of this up and down roller coaster. So if circumstances are good, we are happy. If circumstances are bad, we become depressed. But what Paul is saying is this in the next verse, verse 18 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know what? In this passage, God has now given us not only an understanding of suffering, but the means to deal with it. And here's the th- first thing that suffering does, is that we, the answer to suffering is this, that our hope is found in an eternal God who will reveal his future glory through the Holy Spirit, which pales in comparison to our present suffering. In other words, our greatest hope that we have is that God allows us to suffer for a short period of time for a greater good. You know, if there is one consistent message in the Bible, it's this. That when we see life from God's perspective, it begins to make sense. But when you see life from our own perspective, our temporal perspective, it becomes confusing. You know, here's the important thing in this passage. What Paul is saying is this. When you start comparing apples to oranges, your suffering to the glory. It pales in comparison. Now, if I were to offer you two gifts... One was a box full of dirt versus a box full of, of gold. What would you take? Well, hopefully, well, here's the deal. You get the dirt now, but you have to wait 10 years to get gold later. Now, that's a silly illustration, but the comparison is really, if you think about it, that's what, that's what this passage is saying, that this present-day suffering is like a box of dirt. It compares to what God wants to give to us. And here's where I think our perspective of suffering changes as Christians. That when the Holy Spirit resides in us, he helps us to understand that life is, is, is not about just the here and now. That our hope does not rely in the present. As college students, as young adults, sometimes you live in a very temporal world. And anything that you experience in life can trigger you off. And, and, and you say, "Oh, what well, was me?" And you know, life stinks because you experienced that one thing. Well, when you, you, you go back when you're a child, when you 're a child, what, what, what do you think about? Just the immediate here and now? Well, even high school students, so I 'll tell you a funny story, true story. Uh, a few days ago, uh, this past week, on Wednesday, my daughter, who plays for uh, a soccer team across the street called Troy High School, uh, she made it to the junior varsity team. And, and so she's been starting in, in the, in, during this, the season. But this past uh, week, uh, she decided to miss practice because her contacts fell out, and she decided, oh, yeah, I'm going to skip practice. So the next day, on Thursday, they have a big tournament coming up this weekend. Uh, on Thursday, um, she, she decided to go, not go. And on Friday, practice came. And guess What? All the kids got to practice except her. Even though she was at practice, she got, just got to sit on the bench for an hour just watching everybody else. Well, at the end of that practice, uh, she, I, I went to pick her up, and she started crying it's like a high school season, she goes, and this is her own words, she was like crying, she was sobbing, she said, I don't think the coach likes me anymore, I think I'm going to be off the team, I'll never get to play again. Now, high school students are never dramatic, right? <laughs> high school girls are never dramatic. Well, my daughter was, and and I remember telling her, look, you just have to work harder, and, and just do your best, and, and and let's see what happens. Well, uh, this weekend came uh, about, and so the previous weekend, they had beat two g- really good high schools. They beat University High 3 nothing, and they beat Tustin High 3 nothing. And, and so the first game came, and, and she was right. She didn't get to play in the, in the first. She wasn't starting, so she sat on the bench watching everybody else. But in the middle of the game, the coach calls her, her name, and she comes up, and she starts to play. And eventually, they, they win 7 nothing. and and she scores one of the goals. And in the next game, which is a semifinals, they're playing a a school called Long Beach Poly, a really good soccer team, and she gets to start and play the whole game. You know what the funny thing was? Was that her life's perspective was so radically different. Because what she saw in that temporal world was this short-sighted vision that, oh, my whole world is gonna fall apart. But you know what helped her turn around, which was interesting? That Friday night, after the soccer uh, fiasco that she went through, um, we went to youth group, and it was it's so funny. Her face began to change, because now she was in a community where she was loved and accepted, and it wasn't based on any performance. And she came out of that youth group, and she said, "Now I have a different perspective." And I think that's exactly what God does. that Paul's comparison to our present suffering doesn't compare to the glory that God gives. And here's the glory: one, that the creation would change as well. and not only ourselves, but the whole nature of creation changes. Not only that, we have freedom from bondage that God adopts us into, as a child of God. And here's the other thing in this passage is that we have an advocate. It's not only us fighting for a life, that the Holy Spirit is praying for us. Notice what this says in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express, and he searches our hearts, our minds, knows the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. The good news when we suffer is that we're not suffering alone. You know, one of the most powerful stories of the gospel is when Jesus was was going to visit his friends, Lazarus, Mary, and, uh, and Martha. And he had gotten news that Lazarus was sick. And Jesus was doing ministry, so he couldn't go right away. Well, during the time of his ministry, Lazarus dies. And this is John chapter 11. And Mary sends word that, that, or Martha sends word that, that his brother had died. And as Jesus is walking toward that, toward that place, Martha comes up and says, Jesus, why weren't you here? If you were here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever felt like that? If only Jesus was here, that this would not have happened. But you know what? Jesus does something remarkable in that passage. And this shows you the character and nature of God himself. John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus didn't defend himself. He didn't rebuke her. You know what it said? Jesus wept. Now, the beauty of that story is this. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen because Lazarus was going to receive glory. He was going to resurrect. But Jesus, at the moment of her pain experienced her pain and he comforted her in that so here's the good news is that when you suffer you're not alone you have a you have the family of god here suffering with you but you have a, a jesus who has suffered even more than we could ever have suffered and not only that we have the holy spirit praying and interceding for our suffering when i think about that i just realize, wow Life is not as bad as we think it is. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, I celebrated my birthday, okay? Now I'm closer to eternity than birth because I'm 50 years old now. And as a 50-year-old old man, I just look at life and I said, how many times in my life where I thought it was the end of the world? I look back and I just go, you know what? In hindsight, everything looks kind of petty.